Leitner. Puts it up. You're listening to the Culture State Podcast. Get ready. It's not Halloween, but we definitely have a treat for you today. No tricks whatsoever. Welcome to the Culture State Podcast. I am Chris Lee. That is my guy right there, Dennis Jamel Cox. That's right. And that's Chris Lee right over there, like you just said. Papa Murphy's Pizza. Large pizzas every Tuesday, 1099 large pizzas. Papa Murphy's changed the way you pizza. Make sure you check that out. Chris, you had a great sit-down interview with a big-time guest. Yes, uh, NFLPA um, Executive Director Demora Smith came to Elon University. So shout out to Elon University. Very, very thank- thank- thankful for the opportunity. They reached out to uh, a lot of different stations. WRL was the only one to reply and say, hey, we'd like to interview uh, Demora Smith. Had a chance to sit down and talk with him. Uh, it was my first in-person sit-down interview in a while. And afterwards, you know, it was really just supposed to be for television. But afterwards, um, I hit up Dennis. And I was like, there's way too much in this interview for me just to take the 130 that that ran on television and be comfortable with it and be cool with it. Um, there's so much into this interview. We felt like we need to add this to the culture state podcast. So we're going to deviate a little from our, our normal, uh, formula and use this as well. Let's get right to it. Demora Smith. All right. Let's, uh, let's start off with diversity. First off, sure. thank you for your time. My pleasure. This. Um, I read your, your column and it was interesting. That I was going to have the chance to talk to you about because I read your column. I think it came out in February yep. that you wrote about NFL diversity. And, and in that column, you said that NFL's mission of its lack of diversity and its willingness to adopt solutions are two different things. So I want to ask you, have you seen that willingness improve over your time uh, being over to NFLBA? <laughs> um, interesting laugh right It now. is. <laughs> um, well, my mother always said, if you can't say anything nice. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think that... Um, I've seen certainly what, what I will take as a, a credible desire by Roger to have a more diverse um, and inclusive NFL, okay. um, and, and I believe that. Um, I, I think where the, the problem is, however, is the NFL owners up until this point have been unwilling to subject themselves uh, to an accountability measure to actually achieve it. So, you know, you could literally have a situation that, that I think exists where the league office may want um, um, certain policies, certain procedures, and certainly, certainly better results to occur, but the league office has almost no impact on um, the hiring process of the teams. Mm. And, and when that process operates the way it is now, where there is no transparency, um, in my experience <laughs> over the last few years, um, you know, what I hear is the complete lack of any adherence to traditional employment practices, um, you know, definite job descriptions, ways in which you measure uh, or try to attempt to measure how you improve on the, on the diversity and inclusive, uh, inclusive scale. When the teams make a decision that they don't want to adhere to that, that's the problem. And, and frankly, I haven't seen much of a change um, in that over the last uh, more than a decade uh, since I've been in the job. When I say it, it just makes it seem a lot longer. <laughs> okay, so I want to ask you, that, so it sounds like the way you just described it, two different things. There, you have the issue of diversity, but then you also just have an issue of how, what's the transparency and how people are being hired? So like, let's, right. let's focus on the diversity piece, but I do want to come back to the other part portion of that. 
uh, as far as uh, diversity, do you think it's uh, deliberate, like not having diversity? Do you think it's deliberate ignorance or a deliberate ignorance towards it? Wow. Um, I think that it's a little bit of both. Okay. Um, I mean, you know, we're talking about 32 teams, and um, after 13 years in the job, I'll be the last <clears throat> person to lump all of the owners um, together as sort of a monolithic block. But um, I think the league for many years, much like almost all of sport, um, has operated in a vacuum where, for the most part, people have decided to treat the world of sport differently from the world of corporate business. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm, you know, I came from outside of sport. Right. Uh, I was, uh, was and, and many people would still consider me not a sports guy. And I'm fine with that. But um, when you look at the way um, large corporations hire with strict adherence to protocols, mm -hmm. um, people who have as their job to accomplish a certain business mission, um, the fact that um, there is a tremendous amount of transparency mm -hmm. um, in the way uh, people hire in corporate America. You don't see any of that, for the most part, in the National Football League. Um, and, and I would make the argument that you don't really see a whole heck of a lot of that in sports. Hmm. Because for some reason, um, there is this belief that we must hire a coach or we must hire coaches um, because they're basketball people, or we're going to hire coaches because they're football people, or we're going to hire um, managers because they're baseball people. Well, at the end of the day, you are still entrusting a large number of employees, a large number of operations, arguably on the NFL level, to an entity that has a value in excess of $3 billion. Right. And you're engaging in a level of interviews that sometimes looks a little bit like somebody running for student council. Mm. So, you know, to me, you can, you, you, to your point, I think you have two choices. E either it's ignorance or, or it's, or it's delib deliberate. I don't care which one it is. There is an absence of uniform accountability and transparency. And... And for the union, we're going to weigh into this um, at the right moment, um, being a little bit cagey <laughs> about things. Okay. But, um, you know, the majority of our players are, are, are players of color. I am such a believer in the value and the beauty of sport that I don't think it should be tainted uh, by the lack of diversity and, and inclusiveness. I think what draws fans, for the most part, to something like sport um, is they find the values that they want to aspire to, right. honesty, integrity, freedom, um, competition. When you have a system such as the one that we have in the National Football League, and it runs counter to all of those core beliefs that, that we want to espouse, mm -hmm. I think that's not only a problem for football, but that's a problem for sport. So... It's interesting you say that because you, you say they wanted to hire football people or basketball people. Here you are, a non-sports person, yeah. trying to change those types of things that they're holding on to. However, at the same time, a lot of these uh, owners come from corporate America in, in, as far as how they made their, their fortunes. Um, some of them. Some of them. In some some of them. I mean, Do you think that they would be more open to, to those types of uh, uh, parts of accountability? Well, once again... I don't know the answer, but yeah. you and I could probably agree that it hasn't happened. Right. 
So let's just say hypothetically that there are people who come from corporate America yeah. um, and they would be more open to it. You and I know that the answer is they haven't adopted it, yeah. right? Um, but also, I, you know, just I'm also just very careful about the fundamental assumptions that people go into when they look at our sport, right? right. right. Um, we still have several teams where their entire, the owner's entire fortune is wrapped up in the sport. So when you look at um, whether it's the Roonies or the Maras, there is no outside corporation that they came from, right? Right. Um, it is a perpetuation of the same old, same old um, in football that existed with the elder Rooney and Wellington Mara. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't think it really makes much difference about whether we're talking about a choice that's deliberate or a choice that is just unfortunate because you might not know what to do. Right. The reality is um, we're worse off with the Rooney Rule now than what we were. And, and my view on the Rooney Rule is, is somewhat jaded by the job that I have because I actually have to engage in negotiation with these owners yeah. over and over and over again. But when you create a quote-unquote rule where there is no transparency, there's nothing detrimental that happens to anybody when the rule isn't followed, when the results of the purported rule have not been achieved, and yet everybody somehow believes that next year it's going to get better, I mean, I'm not the smartest guy on the planet, but that doesn't sound like a rule to me. It sounds like a suggestion. So I think we just need to stop talking about the Rooney Rule altogether because if there are no consequences for when it doesn't get followed and it doesn't achieve its stated goals, is it a rule or is it a suggestion? <laughs> How does the Brian Flores lawsuit help out with that? Or can it help out with that at all at the end? I, I don't think that the, I mean, and again, I, I, I don't pretend to, to you know, talk for, for Brian at all. My point is, um, I think the Rooney rule from the owner's side did exactly what it was supposed to do. Hmm. It gave a group of people for almost two decades um, something to talk about and something to hope for instead of something that was designed to accomplish its stated goals. Okay. Um, with that in mind, um, Brian Flores sued the NFL, still was able to get uh, a spot on a, on a NFL coaching staff afterwards. Uh, it's not lost to me that it's by Mike Tomlin, who's a black head coach. Um, uh, but Ka Colin Kaepernick, after his lawsuit, still hasn't been able to get into the NFL. Do you think that it, that shows a little bit of, that things have gotten a little bit better? At no. All? Not at all. Well, Brian Flores was a head coach, and now is he a head coach? No. So from his perspective, do you think that he feels better? No. Yeah. Okay. It's fair. It's fair. Um, I wanted to ask you about, you also brought up um, just accountability versus autonomy uh, from NFL owners. And I know that you say that, like, we're not sure how we get there, but do you think we'll, we will ever get there where there is some type of accountability, where the NFL is this place 
that um, can show off its diversity, like the NFLPA, where you guys have, what is it, 65% of your leadership is women and, and yeah. minority. Does the NFL ever get there? I don't know. Um, I, I, I know that it won't get there on its current track, um, but I don't know. Mm. Um, I want to talk about more of, of the draft and just kind of the things about the sure. NFL and your particular position that you've helped uh, change over the last, uh, since 2009, 13 years. Um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was well, six foot six when I took that. <laughs> they keep knocking you yeah, down every year. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to ask about this. Um, the, the guys that are going to get drafted next week, what NFL are they walking into that guys who got drafted in 2009, hmm. they weren't walking into? And, well, and how do you think the changes you've made have helped out with that? Great question. Um, I, I think, you know, the players who are walking in now are, are when it comes to the wages, hours, and working conditions, are, are walking into a much better NFL than, than existed in 2009. Um, 2009, the league had the unfettered ability to go up to 20 games without the permission of the players. Uh, we were still doing two-a-day practices. There was no such thing as a concussion protocol. Um, we didn't have a fixed share of, of uh, NFL revenue. Uh, we had an inability to, to decrease the cost that the owners were, were tacking on us um, each and every year. And, and the, the players um, in 2009 had more pressure on them, believe it or not, to, to show up in the offseason than they do now. Mm. Um, the players today um, um, have, frankly, a great deal owed um, uh, that they owed to, to the players that came before them. Um, every player that's going to walk across that stage um, on Thursday is going to have a pension. Every player um, is going to have a much higher um, amount of money coming to them, not only by virtue of the growth of the NFL, but uh, securing a larger share of revenue. There's better rules um, dealing with their work rules and what um, what they can and cannot be asked to do. Mm. Um, but, but also, it, it means that the people who are going to walk across their, that stage um, at some point have to pick up the mantle and pay it forward. Right. Um, because in the same way that the players in 2009 stood on the shoulders of, of Gene Upshaw and John Mackey and um, uh, Freeman McNeil and Reggie White, all of those players who really sacrificed a lot. You know, today we don't really ask players to sacrifice a lot. Mm. And, and we were able to get a, you know, a new collective bargaining agreement done uh, right before COVID hit. So every one of our players got paid their full salary, you know, unlike every other professional athlete mm -hmm. um, in the country. It's going to be a fight in, in 2030 for the next collective bargaining agreement for, for the players and for whoever's going to sit in this chair. Yeah. And, and the players who are going to walk across that stage, I know they're not thinking about it now and they probably shouldn't, but at some point in the near future, um, something is going to be asked of them. What are you willing to sacrifice? What vision are you willing to lay forward for the people who are going to come into your locker room? Um, after you in the same way that you came into the locker room um, after people before you and the question will be a simple one um, will they be up to the task so let me ask you that same question uh, since this is your last year your last term 
Uh, what have you laid for the next NFL ex uh, PA executive director? How will their job be a little bit easier? And then what kind of <laughs> challenges yeah. will they have to face that you haven't had to face yet that yeah. you can see coming on the forefront? You know, I, I think, um, you know, for whomever takes over, you know, after, after I retire over the next couple of years, um, a great deal of things going for them. I mean, I, I took the job 18 months before we were locked out. Whoever's going to take this job is going to have five, six years of a run-up before a fight. And let's just say I would never wish upon my worst enemy taking a job <laughs> um, 18 months before, you know, the most vicious labor battle yeah. um, in sports. Um, you know, we're, we're a well-capitalized, well-financed union. Uh, we've built a private equity company that's going to have a value in excess of probably $4 billion by the time, wow. um, by the time this next collective bargaining agreement comes up. I mean, um, we'll have a war chest probably in excess of a billion dollars. Let's just say a lot of things that I wish I had in 2009. <laughs> um, but again, I, I'm a firm believer, um, you know, my parents taught me that you leave it better than you found it. Yeah. So, you know, this job hasn't been, you know, about my term as much as um, I committed myself to making our union better and stronger for that next generation of players. And, and I know that, that we will be um, in a really, really good position. Um, the challenges, um, you know, gam the, the, the new regime of gambling, I think, is going to put some interesting pressures on, on the business of sport. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, th there are a couple of deep concerns that I have about the culture of sport and, and whether the culture of sport um, is ready for a mass gambling regime um, on, on the integrity level. Um, and, and, and that is something that I think is going to be a huge challenge. Does um, that answer no? You don't think it's ready right now? Um, in order to ensure that the integrity of sport continues, there will have to be a mass increase in the culture of keeping private information private, um, understanding that a lot of information that flows freely in the ecosystem of sport um, isn't really treated as material non-public information. Okay. I'm going to be giving an example. So, you know, the, the first league to have regulations on whether a player was probable, likely, or, or unable to play because of an injury was, was football. Mm. And, and that was instituted in the 70s primarily because of gambling. Well, it's no secret to all of us that there is a disparity with which teams report accurately. Yeah whether players are, are probable or likely or, or not able to play. And, and, and teams do that because they want to keep what they consider is a competitive um, advantage. advantage, right? The problem is there is a rule that the teams are supposed to comply with. Yeah. If you have a disparity in the marketplace about what extent some teams comply with the rule and others don't, that simply means that some people are turning over information and some people are not. Well, the public and the betting world arguably is relying on that information mm. and the market assumes 
that there is uniformity with which everybody is performing. Yeah. And you and I both know that that's not true. It's not happening. Yeah. Well, on a very surface level, that means that there is a disparity with which information is kept and disclosed that has an impact on gambling. Mm. So, you know, just to finish out the example, do you know whose job it is to make sure that all of the teams comply with the injury reports? Is that Perry Fuel? I, I don't know who it you is. Okay. And I, I find it really interesting that I don't know who that is. I was thinking it was maybe Perry Fuel's job. <laughs> well, if, if, if it is, maybe he needs to do a better job. But imagine a world, right? And, and that's just sort of one small yeah. example. But, you know, we've read stories in the past, right, where coaches make decisions near the end of the season to pull a particular player out of a game uh, or or decrease his role in the playbook if that player is on the verge of getting a bonus right. for a catch or yards or anything else. Yeah. Okay, that's a coach making a decision in a game that has nothing to do with winning or losing the game, but he's making a decision about whether or not they get to hold on to bonus money and not pay it to the player. So that means a GM or a coach is making a individual decision mm. that has an impact on what the public may think is just a game and we're going to play it as hard as we can to win. So, you know, those two examples alone tell me that within the culture of within the culture of sport there is a lack of understanding or appreciation that all of those decisions are decisions being made about material non-public information and if there's a disparity between what the public thinks right. is true and real between what is actually true and real well then you are literally setting yourself up for a problem in a gambling regime sounds like that's maybe a parallel to some of what brian flores was alleging too well um, the, the allegation about throwing the game yeah right so and again, that's just still an allegation. Right. Um, but but you're absolutely right. If if we do have teams that are engaged um, in tanking, all of those things are things that we tend to have these goofy conversations where somebody says, "Well, it's just football," and that's that's just the way football is. Mm. Well, once you overlay sport with a multi-billion-dollar industry that is relying on alleged truth and fairness in the system, you're no longer talking about just football, or that's what football players do, or that's what coaches do. Right. No, you're talking about the impact on a multi-billion dollar industry, and that's where um, things like congressional oversight start to occur. That's where things or issues like um, deceptive trade practices. Right. So, you know, for the dorky lawyer who's not the football guy, right? Um, those, those are, are the things, things. Yeah. those are the things that I see on the, on the horizon. And, and over the 13 years, um, let's just say that most of the NFL teams don't run like Goldman Sachs or banks or ordinary corporations. If I can, I know you have to go in a little bit yeah. to do this, but if I can ask one more question, if it's possible. Sure. Um, just because I, I feel like I have to ask this. I wish I had 25 more minutes <laughs> with you. Um, 
when the emails with John Gruden came out, I know yeah. you've been asked about this before. Yeah. And, um, but I, I just, from a different standpoint, for me, of course, growing up as a black guy, hearing certain things that may have come that, you know, wasn't said to my face and came around. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've had a relationship with them or whatever, but when those things kind of came out and you're realizing these are the conversations that are being had behind my back, right. what's happening to these coaches who are trying to go for these jobs? Did you think about that at all? And, um, and yeah. do you think that that may still be potentially a hindrance to having more diversity in, in coaching? Um, do I think it's a hindrance? Yes. Um, because I, I do question whether people who may decide that they want to get into sports will make a decision that maybe they don't want to because of um, pervasive issues in sport. Um, you know, for me, um, that was you know, look, <laughs> there, the, it should come to no one who looks like us that, um, that, that people will continue to say and think or do things behind our back. Um, you know, even I was a little bit shocked at, at the brazenness with which people would do it in an email. Mm. Um, and, and lastly, it was probably the only time in the job where I felt that it was unfair to my family. Mm. You know, so look, these are all thick-skinned jobs, yeah. and, and I've had a bunch of thick-skinned jobs, and, and it's fine. You know, it's what, it's what you sign up for. Nobody, you know, nobody should feel sorry for us. Nobody should feel sorry for you. We make certain decisions when we, we take jobs that have a, a public element. Absolutely. But that was one where I thought, for the first time that it crossed the line because now I've got to pick up the phone and call my family to tell them that this story is going to come out. And as a father and as a husband, as a son, you don't, you don't want your family to hear that first from somebody else, right? Mm -hmm. So the good news, um, there's gonna be those folks. And, and I do believe in the moral arc of justice. I really, really do. Um, and, and it has nothing to do with, you know, will they get theirs or, or whatever. Um, we, we have a defined, beautiful history of struggle. And that's okay. That's okay. We got more to go. 100%. We want to thank Demora Smith. We want to thank Elon University once again uh, to let us use their studio, their uh, studio where their uh, journalists are, are learning to become uh, big time journalists like they are right there for that great interview. Um, yeah, and, and Demora Smith, he couldn't have been more open. Uh, he couldn't have been more honest with uh, his answers. And if we had 45 minutes, we could have gone 45 minutes and he was definitely willing to uh, to go that long. Um, but, you know, we're definitely thankful for the 25 that we had uh, right before he did a keynote speech over at Elon. He literally left there, Dennis, and yep. did a key, a one hour keynote five minutes later. Wow. <laughs> it's crazy, right? You got him warmed up, man. You got him warmed up. That's right. for sure. Uh, you know, here's the thing is that, yes, he's a part of the NFL Players Association, like you said, uh, the executive director. And reason how that how that applies to north carolina obviously there are a lot of players in the nfl 
yeah. under the NFLPA that are from North Carolina. We have a yeah. professional team right here in the state of North Carolina. And the stuff that he talks about with, with hiring practices and things along those lines, that's blanket for every business across the entire U.S., especially in, in North Carolina. All that stuff matters. And it's all stuff that people can relate to in terms of hiring practices, even when you mentioned things like job descriptions and things like that, it's like, man, like I didn't even think about that. <laughs> you know, it's the yeah. NFL. You don't have job descriptions posted for, I don't know, your most important positions that you hire people outside yep. of players. It's just, it kind of blew my mind thinking about that. So yeah, that stuff does impact people here in the state of North Carolina, not just in the NFL, but we're just, again, talking about labor and hiring practices across the board. It's a, it's an important thing that impacts a lot of people. And I brought up, uh, you know, some of the Brian Flores suit in that interview yeah. as well. But one of the people who've joined the suit, Charlotte native uh, Steve Wilkes. Steve Wilkes is back with the Carolina Panthers. And uh, if you think about, you know, his coaching track, you know, of course, he did his thing with the Carolina Panthers as a defensive back coach, was their uh, defensive coordinator for a year, and then was one of the hot hires out there. Went to Arizona, and Arizona wasn't good at that time they, they stripped down the team uh completely and then of course they had a three and 13 year they probably would have had a three and 13 year no matter who was the head coach that year he got fired after only one year and when you're having a rebuild in the nfl you're going to need at least at least two years probably three years oh, yeah. so to be fired after one year wasn't fair to him and we see what happens of course arizona had the first overall pick the next year they get cliff kingsbury who they get? Kyler Murray. Yep. We'll have another great episode of the Culture State Podcast for you next week. Same place, same time. Make sure you tune in. Thank you so much. The Culture State Podcast, part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network, with new shows coming out every Wednesday. Download and subscribe from wherever you get your podcasts, including the WREL Sports Fan app.